Hello, my name is Patricia Rosvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore their relation, interest and urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode the community is growing, which was of course the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Today, live from Berlin, my kitchen table was joined by the music artist Valeria Kravale. Valeria calls herself a Berliner and a Russian native speaker. Her music career started as a street performer in 2017, after which she released her first instrumental EP, Stuck in Melancholy. At the moment, she is in the process of finishing her bachelor in guitar playing in Berlin. Through her impressionistic vocal lines, guitar soundscapes and electronic dark wave, Valeria wants to reconnect with her past and explore the post-Soviet nostalgia, calling her music post-Soviet pop. During our kitchen conversations, we mainly discussed her concert set, Constant Flux, devoted to the free Belarus movement, as well as her just-released EP, We Are Betrayed. Throughout the entire conversation, you will also hear us speak about the aversion to the Russian language shared across the former Soviet states, an important but not so often discussed aspect of the complex Eastern European history. Please welcome Valeria Kravale. Uh, welcome Valeria to Kitchen Conversations. Hello. Super nice uh, that we uh, could uh, meet today and also in real life. So nice to see real people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, during COVID, it's, uh, yeah. Exactly. We met uh, through our common uh, friend, Tasha. Big shout out to Tasha. Hello, Tasha. (laughs) (laughs) Nice that uh, she introduced me to you. And actually, I didn't know that uh, your practice is also connected to the topics uh, of uh, Kitchen Conversations. So super nice that we could combine uh, that as well. Yeah. So back to our first meeting, like uh, I think maybe a week like ago. Like a week ago, yeah. Uh, we had a walk in Prinzlauerberg in Berlin. Yeah. And uh, at some point, of course, uh, the question came like, where are you from? Uh, from my side. Mm-hmm. It always has to come at some point when you meet new people, especially in this kind of international circle. And then you said you're from Berlin, <laughs> but yes. your uh, mother tongue or like the, the language you, you speak uh, mostly is Russian. And that kind of um, intrigued me that you connect so much to a language mm-hmm. and not so much maybe to a geographical space. So if we could start with that, how is uh, yeah your relation to the language? I think it's just um, the fact that I didn't really... It's not that 
we are not, where I come from, it's not that we are not allowed to speak it. It's just, it's like almost a crime to speak it and people don't like it and they perceive you as an aggressor. And of course, in, I think it's in every post-Soviet space that nowadays, unfortunately, people perceive Russian as something bad <laughs> and uh, aggressive. And um, when I moved out of there, uh, my first country, my first stop in my journey was the Netherlands. And I studied in the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague. And when I had to do my photography projects, I just realized that I can finally do that. You know, I can finally start exploring my own uh, culture, language and uh, family and connections. And uh, I can get educated in that language and I'm still on the in the process, you know, like kind of recovering from the trauma that uh, I, I I had to be someone else to be integrated into the society uh, of the country where I come from. So um, yeah, now I just prefer to say that uh, I'm Russian and uh, I come from Berlin because I'm trying kind of <laughs> to to forget uh, what happened in my first 18 years of my life because it was. Uh, I always felt like um, misplaced and uh, miserable and like a white crowd, although I, I always tried to integrate. I, I speak the language. I know the culture really well. Yeah, that's why uh, ich bin ein Berliner, <laughs> but uh, I'm Russian. <laughs> that's the answer, yes. Nice. It's uh, yeah. It's interesting that you kind of try to transgress this hate towards their language. And uh, even like I think in one of your texts I read that you use Russian as the lingua franca of the post-Soviet uh, countries, which it is kind of, but it's kind of being, I guess, by at some crowds of people, it does uh, evolve this kind of traumatic feelings. And maybe that's why some people try to not avoid use it, it avoid yeah. it, exactly. And you do the opposite. Also, we will speak about uh, how you use it in your music, in your performances. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, uh, if you think about it, it's just the language, right? Why would we have this stigmas about something that shouldn't be stigmatized? It's and it's just, beautiful uh, language. Exactly. It's a very rich language and the culture and I don't see, and so many people speak it still, you know, and there are so many uh, Russians in so many countries and it, Russian language opens doors. It's uh, it's true. Like look at the map. It's <laughs> it's like half of the world uh, in the end speaks uh, Russian. Kind of kind of similar with the uh, Arabic, I would say. But the Arabic has its uh, dialects and um, and stuff. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I just see it that way. How come there are so many Russian speakers in Berlin? Do you know that? Like where are they coming from, and uh, what's so intriguing for those people <laughs> in Berlin? I mean, during the 90s, when uh, Russia also became independent from Soviet Union, the whole uh, capitalist movement started and uh, Russians always saw Germany as a, of course, as a state that they, they won the war in, but they also saw Germany as this great country that has uh, good production, good cars like Mercedes, BMW, Audis, so for many Russians, it was just a ticket to go to the paradise land uh, where they would get a good job and uh, yeah, a better life. Uh, as same as many Russians tried to fled to America during the 90s. But I think Germany also had uh, programs, like special programs for 
the Russian people, especially on the east in the eastern Germany, that they could stay here and get integrated. And of course, a lot of Russians who came here they uh, live on hard sphere, so they don't they don't work. I know uh, a lot of people like this, unfortunately, that they use this. Um, yeah. The, the, the state-run programs, because uh, let's be honest, none of the countries in the world are as generous in, in that sense as Germany is that it can just sustain you without working and paying taxes. So it's really that by statistics, like every 10th, 11th uh, Berliner is uh, Russian. Yeah. When Just to clarify, when we speak about Russians, do we speak like people from the country of Russia or Russian speakers? Both. I think it's uh, the, the people who I speak about, the, the ones who fled in the 90s, in the beginning of uh, 2000s, when Russia was getting incredibly, yeah, b before uh, Putin came to power, it was just a big mess. Uh, yeah, it was just a... Very poor country. Everything was getting stolen, and um, yeah, you know the the nineties. Yeah, that kind of Russians, and uh, also now there is a wave of Russian-speaking Ukrainians after two thousand fourteen. Uh, I can see that because I work as a guitar teacher uh, only for Russian-speaking people in Berlin, and I have a lot of uh, Ukrainians, uh, Russian-speaking Ukrainians. Who are like this? Yeah, they they fled Ukraine because of uh, yeah during the yeah. after the Maidan revolution, yeah. right? Two thousand fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, you are Valeria, a musician or a music artist, as we uh, discussed <laughs> Both, yeah. before, and uh, aspiring academic. Yeah. You have like big plans for studying a master and a PhD, Ooh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and being quoted in all uh, post-Soviet uh, exactly. literature. Exactly, <laughs> Professor Kravale. I think it sounds. It really sounds. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but mostly your practice is uh, surrounded by music and sounds and performances. Uh, that's really nice because, uh, as I told you, I didn't have a musician yet. <laughs> I spoke once about music uh, with Stefan, about mm -hmm. Manele. Yeah, I'm curious uh, how it, uh, your experiences as a music working within the topics of uh, post-Soviet and Eastern European stories and narratives. And I would like to start uh, by discussing your concert set, Constant Flux, mm -hmm. uh, that you created uh, as a response to the free Belarus uh, movement. Yeah. I think everyone knows what we are referring here to, but yeah, it was a movement that started in August 2020 as a response to the forged elections of Alexander Lukashenko. And I think... Back in August uh, and a uh, few months after, the, the protests were very, uh, very big. Now I think they spread a bit, but still there's a lot of people resisting the totalitarian state they live uh, in. But yeah, you responded with a concert and tell us something more about it. Actually, Constant Flux is something even bigger than... Of course, it's devoted completely to, to the movement and I've been one of the people who organized protests here in Berlin in August. Constant Flux is more about a revolution, like a feminine uh, uh, way of yeah, doing protests and, and um, making uh, some paradigmatic shifts because I thought about it and uh, in the whole Eastern Europe, all kinds of uh, revolution and uh, revolutions and changes 
were always like man-led and um, patriarchic in a way. So um, I just, yeah, I, I just wanted to think about this topic and I realized that there is a, a lot to say and I don't think that anyone has ever said it out loud and kind of celebrated the fact that Belarus movement is about the women of Belarus. And uh, I started to do research and uh, why they emerged, uh, not just politically, but uh, also from the point of sociology. I just started to think about the, the stages of how it goes. In, I mean, it's it, it can be applicable uh, in, in any revolution. But for me, I think the four stages are uh, naivete, emergence, then goes into resistance, and then the Einheit, so like the unification. It's very hopeful, uh, right, the outcome of the revolution. Yeah, and I kind of based it on the whole idea of Bloomer, Tilly, and uh, I forgot the third uh, surname. Mans. Mans. These yes. were like the sociologists' men, right? Yeah, they were all uh, they were all men. Yes, <laughs> um, but yeah, they wrote about uh, they wrote a paper I think back in nineteen twenties even yeah about how to think about a social movement or yeah, a revolution, a any social movement exactly. And uh, yeah, I just kind of took their took their stages, looked at them, and realized that no, nah, no, nah, it all starts with uh, uh, naivety because we all have a naivety that things are going to get better and even if it's bad now you know it's just going to it's going to get better we don't have to do anything and then kind of uh, people get enough and then there is this emergence and um after the emergence of a revolution of course the the government the existing government tries to push the people down so there is a resistance and uh in in my view and in my hopeful view uh, the the last and the fourth stage is the Einheit, so the unification, uh, where uh, everyone is happy in the end, and the, there are rabbits in the grass. And the, yeah, <laughs> sometimes sometimes it doesn't happen like this, but I uh, truly hope that uh, it will for Belarus. It will. And yeah, as you said, uh, let's say looking at history, the the movements were rather uh, led by men, or that's what we know through the mainstream histories, right? Yeah. But actually, uh, following the Belarus uh, revolution, actually also in, in my country, in mm -hmm. Poland, there, there was a lot of uh, social movements led by, uh, by women and also queer communities. So I think this is a bit shifting. And perhaps even the, the movement in Belarus was almost like the movement which started all those uh, other revolutions in that part of the world, perhaps. Yeah, I also I also think that because it kind of gave um, a chance for those uh, for women and for different kinds of minorities to yeah to speak up, right? To speak up, yeah. They they we all saw what's happening in Belarus. I mean, look, there were protests all around the world. Like it's uh, it was very moving and very touching. Mm. Um, yeah. So in your um, concert set that's how how you wrote about it so that's what, how I'm referring to it but mm -hmm. perhaps, yeah it's a concert set mm -hmm. yeah the a constant flux uh you you spoke about this four uh, stages of the social movement but you of course translated them through sounds and music and yeah. uh, let's speak about that the naivete i i approached it uh, non-diegetical so like the way i think about the words uh, so it's kind of a mood music in the end 
but um, I also see it as a, as a yeah as a soundscape of of uh, of the word that I gave to the to the piece. Um, so naivete is like this very light song that starts with these uh, guitar percussions that I do, and um, I use Claude Debussy's uh, gamelan scale, which is like historically it's not really common in European music to use because uh, gamelan scale is something that comes from uh, Java, so Javanese uh, from Indonesia. And uh, Claude Debussy was kind of the first uh, guy in Europe who overtook it and uh, applied it to his music. That's why uh, this first piece sounds so yeah, naive and light and uh, very hopeful. During the uh, naivete at some point, uh, the scale goes into this harmonic uh, minor. So harmonic minor is this dissonant uh, sound that you hear. And I use a lot of dynamics. So I go from really quiet to really loud to just outline the, again, how I see emergence. So I think it's it goes from this small point to something really big and loud. And with the resistance, I approached it as a... Um, I always do it by music, uh, first with uh, just guitar and vocals. And if I feel that I need to add some instruments, then I do. But in past a year, year and a half, I have become minimalist in that sense. So I kind of use only my guitar and my voice. I studied, actually, this is uh, one of the pieces that I was struggling the most because uh, the guitar line there is... Um, uh, studies of uh, Jeff Buckley's uh, arpeggios. I basically took uh, a lot of Jeff Buckley's guitar parts and put them together. And it's actually the whole piece is just three chords. It's just uh, the way I play them and the voicings. The the vocal uh, line, I thought, well, I have to connect somehow to the Belarus, right? So uh, the vocal line is just a profane uh, melody of uh, official anthem of Belarus. So so I just uh, changed the rhythm a bit, switched it a bit. I put my own words and uh, the words basically, it's like a blackout poetry, a white poetry where I say that all the people want to live and uh, we all have a chance to, to be happy. It's like full with uh, lots of different uh, metaphors and stuff. Yeah, so that's like, um, let's say, a counterpoint of the whole piece. Uh, a bit of release as well from this intense looping that uh, that goes on before. And um, then there is the fourth uh, stage, uh, the Einheit. So, um, and the Einheit is where I literally connect all the uh, elements that I have in the previous in the previous three pieces. And uh, I also sing, um, there is only one line throughout the, the fourth piece, мы будем жить вместе страдать, which means uh, we will live together, we will suffer. And as I wrote in my uh, artist statement, it's like a sentence to the people of post-Soviet space. And again, there is two meanings, a sentence in a way that it's like vocabulary uh, sentence so just a phrase but it's also like a sentence like a punishment that even though we will live together we will suffer uh, we have to remember that we are in this kind of together it's not just um, like this movement is not unique to Belarus or like Ukraine or Russia I think it's just a, a problem of all post-socialist new east countries that are just 
trying to find themselves and um yeah there's a clash of generations there's a clash of uh, values of course uh again there's this uh, transgression of different um values but uh, yeah it's just we will live together we will suffer it's uh, it's very true at least for me <laughs> In relation to the suffering, um, I had to think of like the the recording and the looping you did of a spoon in your teacup yeah. or coffee cup. Yeah. Uh, for me, this was quite a symbolic thing. I don't know how you uh, imagine it, <laughs> but uh, for me, it really uh, resonated with some kind of uh, chain uh, sounds or some restraints mm-hmm. or... Yeah, suffering. And since, of course, uh, knowing uh, that the movement in Belarus became very uh, violent, uh, I somehow immediately connected the sound of the spoon, this kind of metallic uh, ringing. Yeah. But yeah, this was maybe only my very far-stretched association. idea of the whole uh, first of all I had to do this set for my uh, bachelors for a solo performance class and um, I had to do it between October and January and I think in November our teacher told we started online of course and in November our teacher told us uh, we can have assessment both uh, in building so both on stage or online and uh, I opted to do it online so online means that you have to record it and then But you also have to make a kind of a stage, think about the set uh, where you're going to do it. Um, And because I knew that the COVID restrictions are not going to allow me to do it inside, which happened in the end. Um, So my idea initially, initially was that I do the concert in my own bedroom. And it's kind of this uh, hidden protest, right? Because also the Belarus protest is uh, mostly happening in the kitchens and in the, yeah, in in the backyards of some buildings. Um, so, yeah, that's why uh, that's why the spoon because it's like you're in your bedroom, you're drinking tea, right? So it was kind of for me, it was more in relation to home that I'm staying at home and just this is what I do. I Definitely, just, yeah, yeah. I felt really yeah. this domestic and also perhaps yeah. the feminine attributes, no? Like yeah, with all the flowers. Speaking, yeah. <laughs> no? Like the kitchen and exactly the flowers mm-hmm. and this kind of more, we would think, feminine yeah. uh, attributes. 
Yeah, I've been uh, thinking really long about all the uh, all the elements because I wanted to be uh, myself, but I wanted to be uh, strong in my femininity. Yeah, I think I I think I managed in the end. It, it it looks very fragile, but then if you get into it, then uh, yeah, there there is something uh, that sticks out that makes a statement. Yeah. And I got a very good mark for it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes, my teacher was really happy. Nice. Uh, back in October last year, mm-hmm. you also released uh, your uh, first EP. First? Steps. No, actually, it's not the first EP, but it's the first EP in Russian. Yes. All right. Yes. So perhaps you feel that's like the yeah. closest to this work for yeah. now. Rebirth, kind of, yeah. And uh, it's titled "We Are Betrayed." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's of course the English translation because mm, yeah. the album name is in Russian mm-hmm. and the songs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it entails four tracks, yeah. and people can listen to it on SoundCloud. I think uh, everywhere. I uh, not that I think it, it is everywhere, like uh, iTunes and uh, Spotify. I just don't use uh, any of those platforms, so that's right. why. <laughs> yes, I sent you the SoundCloud link. Ah, to, yeah, yeah to perfect. Listen. So I will uh, include those, of course, mm-hmm. also in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, first of all, congratulations! It's super <laughs> nice that you released your own music, especially in yeah quite a tough time of like pandemic. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, especially like <laughs> with releasing and everything. You no, know, I think to release new music now is so difficult because you cannot play it live anywhere. And yeah, yeah, and, and I mean people are just kind of done. They don't want to listen to sad and melancholic uh, vibe music that I have. But uh, yeah, I decided it's a good time. Especially with all the things with uh, Belarus, I just felt that, yeah, it fits. <laughs> the timing so fits. So what about the title, We Are Betrayed? It was also made up, I, I use a lot, I have a problem with Russian language, it sounds very uh, weird, but I have a problem with uh, when I write poems. So I have to use a lot of different methods. And uh, one of the methods that I use is this blackout poetry. So I just take a... Uh, page of the book and I just circle the words that I like and I put them together. I did that exercise also in my master studies. Uh, it's really it was good, great. Isn't it? Yeah. Very creative ways. Uh, A lot of things can text. come up as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it just came up in, in that way. And it came up, uh, I think, a year ago during the first lockdown. So like April, April, May, or even, even before, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, we are betrayed is more like a statement to all of the people of this whole New East post-socialist post-Soviet space uh, who thought that switching to uh, this liberalism and this new Western type of system that it's going to change their life uh, completely, but it didn't because this is how I feel. Uh, we joined the EU, but nothing really changed in the society of the country where I come from. Uh, it's just the same, you know, people people don't really change. This is also a statement to, yeah, the Russians who are kind of discriminated by many governments uh, of these newly independent countries. And um, I just believe that the country where I come from, what it does, it's very often unconstitutional the way it treats the the culture, the language, the people. It feels that we are kind of betrayed by our own um, our own country, yeah, our own uh, government. Because uh, there is a story that uh, 
this state didn't issue passports to Russian people. So my grandmothers were one of those people who didn't have the passport. They had just a, a paper that said that they're aliens of, of the state. So it, it means that they kind of belong to the state, but they're not the citizens. So they don't have the rights to uh, go vote and they cannot go out of the country. Uh, so they're all uh, almost like on a refugee basis. And in the in this uh, country where I come from, it was twenty seven percent of people were like this in the nineteen ninety one. So it's kind of um, uh, this we are betrayed idea is just this uh, pain about this because this is also what happened to my family. And when I used to live there, I didn't quite realize it that it's you don't do this to your own people, right? Um, but uh, then I moved abroad and I realized that. Um, this saying, all Russians should go back to Russia, is just um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I completely disagree with this uh, position. And uh, yeah, and that's why we are, that's why we are betrayed. Yeah. Just um, to clarify, or for myself also to understand, uh, you, you're speaking about the Baltic states, right? Yes, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't have to say the country, no, no. but just like to kind <laughs> Let's of... Let's not say the country, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, because also, uh, yeah, the podcast is about unraveling and kind of distinguishing the different region and the histories. And I think the, the Russian um, migration mm -hmm. was actually the, the most, I think, in the Baltic. In the Baltic, yeah, in the Baltics, yeah. One of the singles, uh, mm -hmm. one of the four tracks of your EP has a video to it. Yeah. Uh, what's the title of the song? Uh, it's Moja Banute, so we are betrayed, yeah. Ah, yeah, so that's the... That's the main kind of... Mm -hmm. Are you also planning to do videos for the other songs or how does it... Or this is like the video for the whole kind of EP? I uh, really wanted to do the... Um, a video for Krasnaya Nieba Pasiniela, which is like red sky got blue. So here is a metaphor. I, I uh, say it really rarely to people I kind of want them to know, but uh, I'll tell you. So it's like red sky is uh, the flag of Soviet Union, so red with stars and, and stuff. And then uh, there comes another union, you know, <laughs> the blue the blue background also with the stars, you know, so it's kind of the, the metaphor uh, of switching the, switching the system, but nothing really changes. The stars are still there. Uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is uh, how I see it. I'm, I'm Eurosceptic, you know, I, <laughs> I don't believe in it. You have uh, the right, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I just don't believe in it uh, for past few years. Yeah, so I wanted to do the video for that song, but I wanted to do it with my, um, with the people whom I did one video in St. Petersburg uh, two years ago. And of, because of COVID, I cannot go uh, to Russia because I don't have the, uh, the passport and I don't have the residence permit yet. <laughs> but I will, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and we had this crazy idea, uh, what are we going to do? And it would be in this... Um, we had a concept, everything worked out and uh, we are really inspired by, by I Speak and Short Paris and uh, these are like two big Russian bands who speak in Russian but the music videos they do are just, uh, wow, like about, um, yeah, the problems of, of modern Russia basically, of the society. Yeah, I wanted to do the similar video with actors and everything but um, 
Yep. <laughs> COVID, the plans, yes, uh, a bit shifted. Um, yeah, because it was a good track. It was mixed by my uh, friend from Rostov, uh, Elina. And uh, it's a really, really nice ambient, uh, yeah, stuff. I worked really hard on it. So I hope that this summer <laughs> uh, Russia will reopen for tourism and I can, uh, I can go, yeah, and do my stuff. in Russian mm -hmm. I don't understand Russian I don't speak <laughs> Russian um, and I was also thinking about it how actually the language the Russian language almost like divides the post-Soviet spaces into like the yeah. real part of the Soviet Union and the satellite states yeah yeah uh, and kind of yeah, I was thinking how you see that and like who is the audience of your of your songs or of your music and how important is it actually to speak the language or for who are you singing? I think, uh, as I said, I see Russian as this uh, lingua franca of all those states. And uh, I mean, all my dearest friends are... Um, Russian speaking, but they're not uh, the citizens of Russia. So uh, same as me. Uh, and uh, I think for me um, it's really important to sing in that language now and to use it in my daily life and to have it as my main kind of work language as well because uh, for 18 years of um, yeah of propaganda it has made me feel uh, as if it is a crime to speak this language yeah so like what you what you said at the beginning yeah yeah so it's um exactly so it's kind of freeing now to you know use it and explore it and it, it feels eternal in in learning the language you know there's a there is a lot of uh, words and i just keep uh learning and i i keep learning how to write poems and i'm i keep learning who i am actually because uh I'm kind of rebuilding the whole uh, personality uh, with time. And a language really helps because the way you express yourself 
I think uh, I mean I speak six languages, uh, so yes, <laughs> uh, and Russian feels the most. Um, it's the richest, yeah, uh, for me yet because I don't speak French that well yet. But uh, again, I will <laughs> in a few months, maybe. Yeah, it's quite fascinating for me that you are so connected to a language, or you kind of reclaiming it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, if I think of myself, I speak only three languages. <laughs> uh, something it's a lot, but yeah, compared to you. Um, but I have to say, I'm disconnected uh, from all of them. So yeah, I mean, I would so you say, don't have the. No, I mean, like I would say, English is like the language I feel the closest, although it's actually the farthest for me. Yeah. And uh, perhaps now I'm getting a bit closer to my German because of living here. Mm -hmm. But Polish seems, yeah, very far since I don't use it. And yeah, also I don't know how to write in Polish. I mean, mm -hmm. like if I would write uh, creatively, I would choose English. Although yeah. when I'm with English native speakers, I feel very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should work on that and yeah, I, I do believe you that like it's very empowering. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think it depends on the context, uh, really. So if you are kind of yeah not allowed to do it, as I said, it's not that we weren't allowed to do it. It's just it was weird. It was weird if you speak that language. You know, if you are that person who is um, admiring the language and the culture. Uh, because it's just in the society in the Baltic states, you know. Yeah, it's it's not what you should <laughs> you should do. You are immediately perceived that is this uh, occupant, uh, as they say. And uh, yeah, that's why I in my teenagers. Uh, don't get me wrong, I was like super uh, patriotic for my country, and um, I even had a letter from prime minister saying that yeah, we are proud of you of what you're doing. Thank you very much for investment in our culture and arts. And uh, then I left, and then I I saw it from like I zoomed out, and I saw that it's like I mean the Baltic states is like nothing on the world map, right? And then I. I started to learn really a lot by by traveling, by seeing, experiencing, and then I needed something to come back to, and it it wasn't it wasn't my country's uh, language, and then uh, when, at the moment when I started to rebuild myself, I ooh, <laughs> I realized I cannot even think of going back there, speaking it, using it as something mine, you know, yeah. But I'm I'm uh, happy that I've been uh, through it. That I know really a lot about this culture, language. Uh, I have friends who are from there, um, but still, it's not mine, you know. And I I have to ha have something mine and like home. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult because I think. I was actually exposed to more like the other side. Mm -hmm. So let's say people from the Baltics speaking about how like they remember for like from their parents and grandparents how Russian was imposed you know so it's almost like the other so I really enjoy actually that you say this part because I think this makes this whole idea of like post-Soviet space is so much more complex uh, that it's, it is it yeah. is incredibly uh, complex I mean um, sometimes uh, the Russians in in the Baltic states they they cannot make peace with uh, Latvians or Lithuanians or Estonians and the other way around. And it's completely understandable for both sides that 
you know, you live in the country for 30 years and you refuse to speak that language, for instance. And it's a really big deal, you know, if you if you go to tax office, you start speaking uh, Russian or, you know, uh, any other uh, language, uh, then it's you're perceived to be weird. And it's it's right, it's the same in Germany. You go somewhere, you you have to speak the language, right? You don't speak it, well, you are Ausländer and that's, that's uh, you're foreigner, right? And that's the right way to... Uh, to be because you know what the country has its like interests and stuff but uh, from the other side from the Russian side when they have so much pitifulness and, and hate and disdain to what the governments did to them in the 90s like not giving passports not having a right to uh, they couldn't even um, get a proper job so uh, discrimination right yeah yeah they, if you if you wanted to get like um with this passport, you could never be um, prosecutor of or advocate lawyer. Uh, yeah, so like this higher kind of um, yeah, yeah, higher position. class um, mm-hmm. jobs you could never take. Yeah, so it's understandable for from both sides, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but it changes. It changes with the time. Yeah, yeah, time heals. Time heals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you also sent me some. Um, a little drawing and sketches of yours. Yes. <laughs> More as a joke, I think. But I uh, I really enjoyed also something which was unfinished or like some something coming maybe from your deeper side. Yes, yes. <laughs> and there was a lot of uh, symbols of the Soviet Union there. <laughs> and numbers, right? Yeah. And numbers, yeah. exactly, dates. Uh, uh-huh. And actually the symbol of this, uh, yeah, working tools. Mm-hmm. I see it very often uh, around uh, public spaces in Berlin. Yeah. Um, People like communism here, yeah. that's. Um, yeah, w- what's your take on this symbol? How do you feel about this, uh, yeah, very, very heavy uh, historically symbol? <laughs> you I like mean, it? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say I like it because um, they're both sides to uh, communism, right? The first side is that, yes, uh, they sent so many... The, the gulag happened, Stalin happened, you know, all those all those things, uh, all those bad things uh, happened. And it's a really, really heavy uh, history. I don't... Yeah, and uh, I'm kind of... I feel this, this weight of this symbol. Um, but on the other hand, under this symbol, it united so many... Uh, so many nations because it was one ideology and uh, communism came with collectivism. So if here in the West it's capitalism and uh, individualism, then uh, there it was socialism and collectivism. So something that, um, yeah, something very uh, bipolar from from the West. And uh, because of this symbol, I feel much more uh, connected to a lot of people from different countries where I've never been. Like I meet someone from Kazakhstan, I immediately feel much more connected to that person rather than a person from UK, you know. Yeah, so there are, there are both sides, but um, I would never, you know, I would never wear it or uh, tattoo it or, yeah, I think you should truly understand uh, what this was about. You should read uh, Lenin and you should read... Uh, um, about the, the 1917 revolution in Russia and what happened afterwards. And uh, yeah, the Stalin and Khrushchev, you really have to understand 
uh, how the state uh, operated. Yeah, and uh, then you can, I think, then you can choose. And I understand that's why I choose not to. Yeah. Apply the symbol anywhere. It states, yes. it stays in your uh, notebook. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you don't put it on the walls in Berlin. No, no, for sure not. Uh, but I also uh, because I I don't like to uh, celebrate my the the Baltic states Independence Days or reclaiming Independence Days. I sometimes uh, these were drawings made on the fourth of May, which is like reclaiming independence in 1991 and I kind of make the joke that um, yeah it's just uh, numbers, dates, numbers, dates what does it matter uh, yeah that was kind of a feeling <laughs> yeah this symbol is um, I wanted to ask this question because yeah first of all I see it a lot here and uh, I feel it's somehow a bit different depending who draws it or like who <laughs> uses it. For sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel a lot of people who read Marx use it very vigorously and maybe that's a bit... I mean, Marx was quick. great. <laughs> <laughs> I really like uh, Karl Marx and Engels and I really enjoy uh, he, uh, their monuments all over Berlin. Also because it's part of the history and you have to remember that the whole idea came from here, from Germany. It didn't came from yeah, from from Russia. Yeah, out of the context. Also depends who sees the symbol, you know, and how they how they treat it. And uh, yeah, I mean, there is nothing bad to any symbol, right? I, okay, there is only one bad symbol that I'm not going to say out loud that is bad. And immediately when I say it, I think of the bad Germans. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, let's leave the symbols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The symbols are tough, yeah. <laughs> but moving to um, Marxists, actually on your SoundCloud uh, description, you describe yourself as uh, Kravale, as the post-Soviet Rosa Luxemburg of modern Eastern Europe. What's yes. up? With that? <laughs> What's up? What's up, Valeria Luxemburg? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my actually one of my teachers came up with this one. Um, it was also like a word uh, play um, when I wanted to switch to this uh, post-Soviet movement more, which was two years ago. When I realized, yeah, I feel really connected to it. And he was like, "Yeah, knowing your character, you're kind of Rosa Luxemburg." I was like, "Okay, um, yeah." So. Yeah, it just uh, felt right and it feels very intriguing, right? Well, very intriguing, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's the only English sentence in my SoundCloud. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that, that's enough. And then just yes, the that's music. Enough. That says enough, exactly. It's nice. Recently, actually, after I read this, I was like, okay, let's read a bit more about Rosa Luxemburg. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where are the similarities? <laughs> yeah, and, and you're from Berlin, so you, you have to, yeah, you have to know. Not just that we have a Rosa Luxemburg Platz, but also, yeah, that was uh, quite a nice woman. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and actually I read that she was uh, Polish or like Polish-Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And uh, when we walked uh, a week ago, you, you also told me uh, about your recent uh, project, which you're working mm -hmm. on as part of your studies as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my uh, last project actually, yeah. Uh, and it's a research uh, on the nostalgia evoked by Soviet cinema and most importantly the music in those films. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually, I narrowed it down only to uh, Soviet films 
uh, that uh, were made in the 70s. And um, yeah, because I realized that there is a lot of uh, songs that uh, you sing a melody and every Russian-speaking person knows them, no matter the age or the country of origin. It's just something uh, amazing if you think about it. Um, And it's not like it wasn't, there was no radio, you know, it wasn't like pop music but uh the the films uh that's my theory only but like the movies they were available to everyone on the tv and that's why the music from the movies became kind of a mainstream pop mainstream pop culture yeah it's also a very memorable uh, music so the the melodies the way they were written are written by very very smart uh, musicians and composers so Yeah, I came up with this idea in December because I finished the Constant Flux and I had to do my last project that I'm doing right now for the for my thesis. And I had to start composing something and uh, I realized that it really intrigues me. Like maybe there are some certain constraints that they use, some certain scales, some certain something. And uh, I started to analyze and I realized that Yes, there's uh, actually quite a few tricks. All this music is written by only a few composers and they all uh, get their education at Moscow Conservative. Yes, so mm. it's it's really, really, really funny how three people, yeah, roughly three, five people have shaped the minds and the tastes of millions of people. Yeah, Crazy. Yeah, it's really interesting. Do you have some movies which you want to recommend some classics perhaps some classics from soviet times i think there's uh actually it's really funny because in my bachelor's i'm not really allowed to use uh russian so i have to translate the names of the in the the, thesis you mean in the thesis yeah written text Mm -hmm. yeah i have to translate the names so for instance there is a Приключения электроника, which was um a, a lot of soviet movies they they were just like um adaptation of the Western movies, right? So uh, there was this, I guess in the 60s, this whole sci-fi topic of someone going into into the future and coming back was really popular. So the Soviets had their own kind of <laughs> kind of answer to that, which was Приключения uh, электроника and uh, Adventures of iRobot, I call it. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's not iRobot, it's like electronic, it's like the, the name. Then uh, from the classics, I would say there is a really good cartoon, Nupagadi, which is like uh, this wolf uh, running. And uh, yeah, it was quite funny. I, I used to love it in my childhood. I don't really, I'm not a fan of the Soviet films, but uh, I really like the post-Soviet. So something that was like 90s and the beginning of uh, 2000s. Actually, there is a really good movie, uh, Brat 2 from 2002. And uh, it's, it's legendary for Russia because it portrayed uh, St. Petersburg in the 90s, like the this whole the 90s, you know, the 90s mood. And uh, unfortunately, in 2003... Uh, on the filming set of the next uh, movie of the franchise, the main uh, actor uh, died. And uh, he became like, uh, if America has a Superman, that we have Sergei Bodrov, you know. It's like, yeah, it's like a really big uh, part of our culture. And he's like a man-man, a Russian superhero. (laughs) (laughs) And he's quite uh, quite cute, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, Brad 2 means uh, brother too, yeah. 
And uh, then there is a really good movie that I, I enjoyed uh, so much recently and I watched it like five times. It's from 2006 uh, and it's called Zero Two Lirak Lithuania. And it's um, also a comedy thriller about uh, how business uh, business is done in uh, Lithuania. And it's just a, yeah incredibly funny movie, uh, you, kind of Guy Ritchie, Tarantino style. And yeah, but in Lithuania, it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs> That's quite a list. Yeah, you should watch it. Yes. Yeah, slowly we we are reaching the end of our talk. Uh, before we start talking about some food things, mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, ask if you have anything else to add. You have quite some notes there, so maybe <laughs> yeah, there was because something I that always, you, you know, I always kind of forget what I wanted to say, so I kind of like mark my talking points. But it's good; it's much better than I talk some I don't know what, and then I'm not responsible for what I said. I, I think it's uh, uh, I grew into this now. <laughs> I grew up a bit. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think um, I don't think there is anything. Uh, else to say oh no I actually I wrote the third movie that I really liked which is uh, a bit more recent uh, 2017 by uh, Georgian director um, Hachvani and uh, it's called Dede which is um, about yeah women in Caucasus and how they try to live normal life it's Caucasus (laughs) the the women have uh, to be in the kitchen in the Caucasus yeah it's a really um it's a it's a drama uh, movie but it's a really good one from georgia by the way talking about georgia thanks for recommending me this <laughs> the wine it's good right wine shop in <laughs> berlin i will also uh give some promotion to it in the show notes yeah definitely it's it's really great and i think we should really support uh, the locals uh, right now yeah yeah so what uh, what is your favorite food from home what do you like to eat when you are nostalgic? Well, uh, I'm used to say that I don't have a home, <laughs> um, but uh, I feel belong to this, uh, yeah, post-Soviet uh, space. Um, so I would say that the food that I eat when I'm homesick is the food from any state in the post-Soviet. So I really love uh, Abkhazian kitchen. I mean, when I uh, first was in uh, Sochi. The way they make aubergines, it's it's like, wow, there is nothing better than that. And I really like a hinkali from, it's the Georgian cuisine, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, it, yeah. yeah, right? Yes, it's it's really good. So it's like this big uh, dumplings with, uh, with the water. They and look also super amazing. They are, they're just, ah, and it's real meat inside, you know, it's some species. Yeah, it's really good. Now I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, sometimes when I'm a bit sad, I make Russian pancakes, you know, with a lot of jam and uh, condensed milk. Yeah. Mm, I like those also. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. I I eat them with uh, white uh, cheese, with sweet white cheese. Yeah, yeah, also. And jam. Hungry, hungry. Great, so let's uh, let's uh, have some food maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, but we have really nice cookies here on the table, so I think exactly, I'm going uh, to survive, yeah. <laughs> we will eat them. All right, thank you so much, uh, Valeria, for, uh, yeah, for the talk. And um, I really enjoyed that we uh, found kind of the balance uh, between your projects, but also 
more kind of cultural, political aspects of the complex, complex... <laughs> Very uh, complex topic, yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a really nice talk. Thank you. <laughs> And that was it for today. Thanks so much for reaching till the end of this quite long episode. I will see you next time with another amazing artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can check out my Patreon account on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. And if you cannot or do not want to support, that's totally all right. Instead, you can also uh, like my Instagram profile, patricia.rosvora, or leave a comment on one of the podcast players. Take good care and I see you next time.